Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, Corey, we've got an interesting conversation ahead of us today. And I want to start out with something that happens to me sometimes while I'm driving, like if I'm driving on the highway and maybe I'm just really weird. <laughs> oh, I mean, I can vouch for that. Yeah, I, it's not a maybe. I'm definitely very weird. But sometimes while I'm driving, I will look around and I will just see these thousands of houses and you know, I'm passing hundreds of cars and I'm on this big multi-lane highway and I start to think, all of these things that I'm seeing, everything that I'm seeing that's man-made, you know, all the telephone poles and everything, what is the lifespan of each of those things? And the car I'm in or the cars around me, I, they might get 15 to 20 years. And, you know, the structural part of a house might last for 70 or 80, maybe 100, maybe 150 years. But, you know, the, the roof of each house, the shingles probably need to re be replaced every 30 years. And the highway that I'm driving on needs to be repaved every few years. And I just start to kind of add it all up and try to average it out in my mind. And I just think if everything I'm seeing on average has to be replaced every 50 years. You know, maybe that's being too generous. Maybe that's unrealistic, but that wouldn't just be the case in all the things that I'm seeing at that moment. That would be the case for basically everything worldwide, all the cities and buildings and roads, you know, the water pipes underneath me, how long do those last? And to me, that starts to feel really overwhelming. Like how can we possibly have the resources to replace all of this? And it's at moments like that, that I think, well, if we can just reuse it, if we can recycle all these materials 
then we'll be just fine, at least from a resource depletion standpoint. And that doesn't factor in like all the waste and all of the energy that's used and, and the fossil fuels, the pollution in processing all of that, but just the materials itself. Sometimes I have this feeling like recycling is what is going to save us. It's interesting because the, the idea that you just brought up of how everything, literally everything, has to be replaced at some point. And on average, you could say something like maybe every 40, 50, 60 years, we are replacing every man-made thing on the earth. And that is a vast, immense amount of stuff. And by the way, I mentioned it doesn't account for the waste and all the energy, but it also doesn't even account for all the growth. We're talking about just replacing what's already there. Yeah, you consider that the population continues to grow, new houses are being built, new roads are being paved, and all you're talking about is just replacing the junk that we already have. And maybe before we get into talking about recycling, I think it'd be good to touch back quickly on the idea of waste and just how much waste we produce. We've done an entire episode on this. It was episode 48. It's pretty easy to find. It was titled Waste, which by the way, Kel and I have always tried to be really straightforward with our episode titles, if you haven't been able to tell. Some podcasts will get like super cryptic about their titles and really make you guess what the episode's going to be about, or really creative and fun. And Kel and I are just not creative or fun in any way at all. But that being said, I actually would like to hear feedback because I've wondered, do people see that and think like, oh, this... This is too obvious what it's going to be about. I don't want to listen to it. Or is it appreciated that we are pretty transparent and straightforward on that? Let me know. Reach out to me via Twitter, at CollapsePod, which, by the way, I'm trying to actually become active on social media. It's just not me to be, like, super out there posting stuff, but I'm going for it. So follow on Twitter if you haven't yet, at CollapsePod. You can direct message me there with feedback, or you can email us, breakingdowncollapse at gmail.com, or find me on Reddit, user Corey John. So anyway, we gave some numbers about how much waste we produce in that episode. And I wanted to kind of go over some of those numbers, maybe give some new numbers that I think are kind of interesting. But currently, each year, the amount of municipal solid waste, so this is the amount of waste that like the garbage trucks come by and pick up and gets taken to dumps or landfills, is 2.01, so basically 2 billion metric tons annually. 2 billion metric tons is 2.2 trillion pounds. And I don't even know, like, how do you fathom that number? 2.2 trillion pounds is just outrageous. The World Bank estimates overall waste generation will increase to 3.4 billion metric tons by 2050. So that's something like a 70% increase in the amount of waste that's expected in just the next 28 years now. What's outrageous is that this is just municipal waste. In the episode that we did on waste, we talked about industrial waste as well. And there's no real way to, to say exactly how much waste is produced at an industrial scale because a lot of that is like chemicals in water or tainted water. A lot of it's air pollution. So industrial waste isn't always just solid waste. But I've seen some numbers estimating as high as 7 billion metric tons produced by industry just in the U.S. alone. So again, trillions of pounds of waste being produced. The global average is about 1.6 pounds per day per person, but higher consuming nations like the U.S. or China are contributing 4 to 10 pounds per person per day of trash. 
Since 1980, the amount of trash generated in the U.S. has doubled. And just here's some random numbers. 16 billion diapers in the U.S. alone every year are taken to landfills. 1.6 billion pens, 2 billion razor blades, 220 million car tires. So you think about the, you know, you're saying driving down the road, the car might last 15 years, but the tires don't. We're replacing 200 and 20 million of those every year in the U.S. alone. And then it says, enough aluminum to rebuild the U.S. commercial air fleet four times over every year. A couple of other interesting facts here. Out of every $10 spent buying things in the U.S., $1 of that, so 10%, goes for packaging that is thrown away. And packaging represents about 65% of household trash. So it is wild to think about the amount of trash that we're throwing out is just basically to contain the things that we're buying. On average, Americans toss 60 million water bottles into the trash every day, which is the equivalent of about 700 trashed bottles each and every minute. And it takes about a thousand years for most of those bottles to decompose. I'm a numbers guy, Kellen, so I've just given a lot of numbers. I'm going to give one more. And it is that if all of the trash that the U.S. generates in one year was put into trucks, garbage trucks, that were lined up end-to-end from Los Angeles all the way to New York City, so stretching the entire span of the United States, those trucks would be lined up more than a 100 times. So I think it's fair to say that when it comes to this idea of recycling, recycling definitely has its work cut out for it. Yeah, I know we try not to be alarmist on this podcast. We try to just be reasonable and as accurately as we know how present the facts. But I don't know how you can hear those facts and figures, those numbers, and not feel kind of alarmed by it. The sheer volume is just mind-boggling. In that episode where we talk about waste, episode 48, we go into detail on not only the volume, but all the problems, the way that waste is mishandled, and there's a lot there. We don't want to dive into that side of it. We want to focus more on recycling with this episode. And speaking of recycling, obviously there's different types of materials that we can recycle in different ways. Some things can be recycled, some things can't. But I think as a good example, it's worthwhile to just talk about plastic. And I'd like to use plastic as kind of the case study that we can step through to demonstrate some of what we're up against when it comes to recycling. And I think it's worth mentioning that most people, when they think of recycling, plastic is kind of the main one that people seem to think about paper and glass as well. But there are lots of other things that can or can't be recycled, like rubber or leather, clothing materials. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that have their own separate processes that also play significant parts and are very important. But for the purposes of this episode and the amount of time that we have to discuss, like Kellen said, focusing on one and perhaps the most important, which is plastics, I think is appropriate. Yeah, when you talk about the other things that can be and are recycled, one that comes to mind for me is copper. When I was going through my first few years of college, I worked for an electrician as an electrical apprentice. And we would do commercial and residential jobs. And sometimes, depending on the gauge of the wire that we were using, it was worthwhile to collect the scraps so that we could turn those in to a recycling center and they would pay us for those. But they only wanted to accept like raw copper. So we would have to strip off all the 
sheathing on those wires if we wanted to turn it in. And when we talk about a home, for example, when somebody's going to demolish a home so that they can build another one, I think in most cases, there's not really a good way to go in and take all the wire out of the walls first. Anyways, the point is that there's barriers, there's problems and difficulties when trying to recycle anything. But again, let's talk a little bit about plastic. And really quick, Kellen, before you move on, I think it might be good to just reiterate and point out again that we try and be really objective on the podcast, do research and just present what we find in that research. There are people out there who will just scream that recycling is a scam 100% and don't bother recycling because it's 100% fake, right? And then there are other people who will say recycling is 100% going to save the planet and dedicate their entire lives to recycling. So we're going to present the facts here, some of them good, some of them negative regarding the idea of recycling. But I think it's important to definitely state that for a circular economy to work, for one in which we're able to reduce the amount of resource extraction and growth, energy expenditure, recycling is important. There are just certain aspects of it that are very difficult that make efficient recycling challenging. And we'll get to all of that, but I just kind of wanted to point that out before we dived in. And I'm glad you said that because when we are able to recycle, that's great. But for example, there are some claims that the United States uses 2.5 million plastic bottles every hour. And that by 2050, there will be more plastic in the oceans than fish meaning that for every pound of fish, there will be at least a pound of plastic in the ocean. And going back to something you mentioned, Corey, is that in just the last three to four decades, we have doubled the amount of plastic production. So with all of that in mind, with how much plastic we are producing and using and wasting, according to the EPA, only 9% of all the plastics that have been created have been recycled. And that number to me is just atrocious to think about just the vast amount of plastics that are produced. You know, we've talked about microplastics and the amount of that that's out there. And to think that only less than 10% of that is recycled and the rest goes to landfills or to the ocean, that just blows my mind. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is because it's a much more difficult process than we sometimes think. In our minds, I think sometimes we're like, I got this plastic water bottle in my hand. I'm going to put it in the recycling bin. And soon, magically, it's going to be a new plastic water bottle that someone else will get to drink from. And that's not really the case at all. There are a number of different types of plastics, and we'll get into some of that. But one very common type of plastic is called PET. And these PET plastics, they have to be sorted so that they aren't mixed up with any other types of plastics when they go through their process of recycling. Like if you even have just a little bit of PVC or polyvinyl chloride, that can ruin an entire batch of PET. And then once you've got it sorted and cleaned, you have to heat it up enough to shape it and mold it. But if it's heated up too much, it can chemically break down and create hydrochloric acid. The point is that there's a whole process here. There's another way with like PET plastics that they can recycle them that's called chemical recycling. And that has some advantages. You know, they can actually change the chemistry of PET to kind of break it down into its individual elements. And then they can either make it back into PET or even into other types of plastics. But it takes just so much energy to do that. And so that leads to the point that 
in many cases, recycling just is not cost effective. So to understand that, when you're doing research on recycling, you will hear the phrase contaminated. They talk about contaminated plastics or clean or non-contaminated plastics. And on one hand, contaminated means that it's just a mixture of materials. You've got maybe a mixture of recyclable and non-recyclable materials. Or, you know, you think of some packaging, like a canister that might have parts of it that are plastic, parts of it that are paper, parts of it that are aluminum foil. And there's not really an easy way to separate that out. And so that would be a contaminated piece of plastic waste. But it also means plastic that has food waste on it or oil or greases or liquids. And so it's extremely challenging to get them clean enough that they can be used, that they can go through that recycling process. And there's a term that some people use, they, they call it wish cycling, which basically means people like you and I throw all sorts of stuff in the recycling bin, just assuming that, hey, they can recycle this, it can be sorted out, when that's not always the case. But because of this idea of contaminated plastics, we've really kind of shot ourselves in the foot. You know, America used to send millions of tons of plastic trash to China. Which, by the way, just thinking about how inefficient that is, you know, we're buying most of our cheap crap from China that gets transported all the way across the world. We consume it here, then we end up sending the recycled material on these massive bales back over to China on the market. Basically, they buy it from us to then dispose of appropriately or not, in many cases not. That just seems so inefficient. Yeah, and at the time, because... They were trying to grow as a country, as an economy. It was worth it for them to take in those recyclable materials. They could have people sort it out and clean it for like one-tenth of the labor cost that it would take here in the United States. But going back to that idea of wish cycling, people were just throwing whatever they wanted into the recycling bin. It was all this contaminated waste. And manufacturers were packaging things in new ways that made it that much harder to sort it all out. So long story short, even though we were saying we were sending them all of our recycling, we were really sending China a bunch of trash. And at one point, China had grown enough to generate enough material to meet their own demand. And it was also starting to cause a big environmental problem for China that they were taking on all this trash. In the end, they got really fed up with it. And they said, you can't send it to us anymore. 2017, there was a policy. It's called the National Sword. They banned the importing of contaminated plastics. And to be more specific on that, there could only be a 0.5% contamination rate. It had to have a 99.5% clean rate or uncontaminated rate, which is next to impossible. Like if we had those rates, we'd just be doing it ourselves here because it was more efficient. We were using China basically to send a crappy stuff that we weren't able to or willing to recycle. Yeah, exactly. And keep in mind, this was just not that long ago. This is, was in 2017. And this caused a huge disruption in the way that we were handling our waste and recycling in the United States. We started sending it to other countries, mostly in the global south, like Southeast Asia, we were sending to Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, but soon they were having all the same problems that China was. In a lot of cases, they were just buying our trash from us and then burning it or burying it or, you know, maybe trying to find ways to sort it out. But it, it started causing all these environmental problems there as well. And there's still a good share of that that's happening. We haven't made all the same steps that some other nations have. You know, the United Nations banned the export of contaminated plastic waste to developing nations. So we've got this problem, particularly in the United States, where we are still generating 
and collecting all these materials, but we can't sell it anymore. And so it's just stacking up. I know, Corey, on a different episode at one point, we talked about how locally I had a bunch of cardboard and I tried to go take it to where I would normally take my cardboard to recycle it and the bin wasn't there. And so I drove to another part of town and that bin was gone too. And I went all around and and couldn't find anywhere to take all this cardboard. So I went to the landfill, I went to the dump and asked them what was going on. And they were like, oh, didn't you hear? The recycling market basically just collapsed. And so there's a bin over there that you can put it in. We've got just one bin for this whole region. I looked at the bin and it was overflowing. They said, or you can just throw it away. And I had another experience. This was when I was doing my MBA. There was somebody in my class who worked for a nearby city. And they said, you know, don't tell a lot of people this, but all the recycling that comes through to our city, you know, people sort stuff out and put it in their blue bin. And that's their recycling. They said, we just put it all in the same place. It all just goes to the landfill. But we let people continue to believe that they're recycling so that they'll feel good. And by the way, I didn't validate that. Maybe they were just making it up. I don't think they were, but I'm sure that's not the case everywhere. But there was definitely a drastic change in the U.S. in the way that we've been trying to recycle since 2017. Yeah, and that is so disappointing to hear, right? People go through the effort. They think they're doing what's right. They're taking the time to sort things and put the right things in the right can and all that. And then it ends up just being dumped in the same spot. And so it's interesting that this is a fairly recent issue. Recycling has always been a problem in that it hasn't been able to keep up with demand, with consumption and trash generated. But now to think that we have this issue where we're not able to get rid of it in the same way that we were, and it's resulted in what you said was a collapse of the recycling market. And this is something we'll touch on a little bit later. But to me, the idea that there is a recycling market in the first place that we're basically letting capitalism dictate what we're doing with our trash, to me, seems pretty messed up. <laughs> we'll go over a few reasons why uh, later, but I mean, it's it's pretty obvious to think that companies will do whatever is in their best interest for profitability with their trash rather than what is environmentally responsible is a huge issue and obviously is going to result in things like this where recycling just gets dumped in the trash and goes to the landfill. One number that I saw stated that of all of the waste that we produce, you just mentioned that 9% of plastics get recycled. Some things are much higher than that. I know paper is much higher, for example, but overall, it's estimated that around 13.5% of today's waste is recycled and 5.5% is composted. So that still leaves, you know, 81% of all that trash that ends up going to those landfills like you've just described. And it's interesting when it comes to plastic, several decades ago, there was this big shift. Instead of making products that were durable or were meant to be used multiple times, a lot of companies saw that it was much more profitable to make disposable like plastic bags that are used so frequently, whether that's like sealable Ziploc bags or whether that's grocery bags, they're meant to be used and then thrown away. Or, you know, plastic razors. You mentioned the absurd number of plastic pens that are thrown away every year. Straws and plastic cups and plates and packaging. Everything was becoming disposable and our plastic production was going through the roof. Well, plastic is a petroleum product. And so when people started to get concerned about all the waste, a lot of these big companies, including oil companies, stepped in to run these big campaigns around recycling. 
at one point, Coca-Cola and Dixie Cup and a bunch of other companies created something that they called Keep America Beautiful. And they started all these anti-littering public service announcements. And a lot of that was in this effort to shift the blame a little bit and say, it's not our fault for producing so much. It's your fault as the consumer for not being responsible for your trash. But it also created this feeling that, hey, as long as you're putting stuff in the blue bin, you are saving the earth. You can feel good and guilt-free. And it's interesting, there's a quote from somebody named Larry Thomas, who was the former president of the Society of Plastics. Which will possibly be the only society to remain intact in the future. <laughs> Anyways, he was speaking about some of the issues that they were seeing at one point, And he said, the feeling was the plastics industry was under fire. We gotta do what it takes to take the heat off because we want to continue to make plastic products. And it wasn't just oil companies and plastic manufacturers. It was all sorts of companies that were making consumer goods that found that having this plastic packaging made it just so much more sellable, it was more convenient, and it was much more profitable. And this is where the part comes in where people say recycling is a scam, right? This is something that is just completely contrived by plastics and oil companies and all these other companies that benefit from plastics. And in large part, I agree with that. This is something that it's a form of greenwashing. And we saw this same exact thing happen. We see it today still with fossil fuel companies pushing the idea of a carbon footprint, right? It's the exact same premise. Fossil fuel companies recognize that they are under fire for the production and extraction of fossil fuels. Like in that quote you just said, we want to continue producing and distributing fossil fuels. And so what do they do? They shift the blame on the consumer and say, hey, look, there's this carbon footprint. You as an individual are responsible for a certain amount of carbon released into the atmosphere, and you need to be able to reduce that. It's on you. It's not on us. And so with whether it's the carbon footprint or whether it's recycling, it's a way for these industries and these companies to say, buy all you want, consume all you want, but in the end, it's on you, it's not on us. And interestingly enough, like you said, with recycling, it goes a step further because it's saying you can truly consume all you want because in the end, you're just recycling it. So it's you're just saving the earth that way. When in reality, we're seeing what the numbers actually are and how in a way it's just a psychological game, right? It's just a way to say, consume, 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 continue buying, feel good about yourself for it. And in the meantime, we're just destroying the planet to feed that growth. Yeah, you're right. Instead of talking about consumption and waste, we talk about recycling and that enables us to continue all these awful behaviors. And it's sad because recycling is obviously an important thing. We need to be able to recycle the things that we're consuming in order to not extract more. But these companies have managed to take a good thing, put their own spin on it, basically hijack it and turn it into something that's negative and nefarious. Right. Recycling is a beautiful idea. And it's not like it's a fake thing. Like we do recycle materials and that's fantastic. It should be a part of what we do as a society part of our plan to try to mitigate all the damage that we've done. And there are evolving technologies. You know, there, there are machines that are able to do a lot of the sorting of these different types of plastics and materials and to clean them so that we can more efficiently prepare them for the recycling process. But there are some other big barriers. One of them when it comes to plastics is if you look on most plastic products, 
you'll see the little recycling symbol, right? With the three chasing arrows kind of in a triangle. And in the middle, you'll see a number. There are seven numbers, seven labels to try to categorize what type of a plastic product that is. And each one has different recycling rules. The problem is that those rules vary from city to city, from county to county. There's not any sort of standardized regulation or processes. And so what you can and what you can't recycle depends a lot on where you live. And it's confusing. It's it's not very convenient to have to try to discover what kind of a plastic product is that you're holding and then determine what to do with it. A lot of the plastic products that we have are category one and two, which is great because we have some good things built out in the U.S. domestically to be able to handle those and recycle those. But Three through seven is what we call mixed plastics, and that's what was going to China before. And now we don't really know what to do with them. The other thing to realize is that even when recycling does work the way that we would like it to with plastics, you can't just reuse the same material over and over again. Usually stuff that's plastic gets downcycled. So you can't necessarily turn a bottle into a bottle. Usually bottles get turned into like polyester thread that then gets put into carpet or clothing. But you can only use it so many times. You can only reuse it until it's just not high enough quality anymore. At the very best, a plastic bottle can be recycled up to 10 times. But there are other claims. National Geographic has a statement that says the same piece of plastic can only be recycled about two to three times before its quality decreases to the point where it can no longer be used. And even when you're using recycled plastics, usually they have to add virgin plastic in order to have the necessary quality. But in almost all cases, it's almost always cheaper to just produce new plastic that's at a higher quality than to sort and recover, go through the whole process to use recycled plastic. So going back to those labels, you know, one through seven, what kind of plastic is this? Marketers want that eco-credibility by having that recycling symbol on their packaging. But when it comes to waste management services, they're not really asking, do we want to recycle this thing or not? They're asking themselves, can we sell it? And I saw something where somebody from a waste management center of a county was saying, we might be able to get 20 to 22 tons of like paper on a truck, but then it costs at least a few hundred dollars to be able to transport that where we need it. And that's with paper, which is much more efficient. But when you talk about plastic and all of that sorting and cleaning and the whole process, like we talked about, again, It's not that we don't want to do it as a society necessarily. It's just that we haven't decided it's worth it to us. The market's not there for it. It's just not cost efficient. And this goes back to what I had mentioned earlier about how it drives me nuts that we have relied on the free market, on capitalism to sort of take control and run our recycling programs for us. It's obviously not working. So often in so many cases, virgin plastic costs way less than recycled plastics do. So why would a company voluntarily take on the responsibility or the extra cost of recycled plastics? They're just going to buy it new. They're not going to have to either go through the process themselves of recycling it, or they're not going to have to pay those premium prices. I watched a short documentary about the recycling process in a certain municipality in Germany. And you know this guy, he collected his own trash and he wanted to take it to the recycling center and they let him in and, and let him join them for a day out on the job collecting the recycling and also, you know, let him in to sort it. 
And he actually worked alongside people all day to do this stuff. And he ran into a lot of the same problems that you were talking about, where in his own little trash bag, they looked through it. And one of the workers said, oh, yeah, this yogurt cup, we can't recycle that because it's got food waste on it or it's got the aluminum lid attached. So separate those and, and maybe we can do it, you know. And, oh, this is, uh, this is a certain type of plastic that we don't recycle. There's no way to do that. So that goes in the garbage can. And by the end, it was like very little of the recycling that he had put away was actually actually able to be recycled. And it later showed him talking to a guy who had started a company to recycle plastic and to use that recycled plastic to create one specific product, which was like planters, like flower pots, basically, right? And it showed the process and it was this huge deal to try and sort the plastic and melt it down and create beads out of it to then melt down and put in forms to create these pots and he was talking about how it was significantly more expensive to do it this way. They could just get virgin plastic and do it at a way cheaper cost. And yet in the market, he was competing with those virgin plastics. And he said, really, the only companies that we're able to get business from are the ones who are willing to pay more because they want to be environmentally friendly. And he said, we are still yet to turn a profit. So it's like we're relying on people to put forth huge investments to create companies that don't become profitable to try and manage our recycling. And when recycling companies can't sell their bales full of contaminated plastics at the right rate, they just go and dump it, right? And that's infuriating. Just like people have talked about like a carbon tax. If a company emits a certain amount of carbon, then they should be taxed on that. Those taxes can be used to create carbon capture technologies or whatever that is to try and offset the carbon I feel like the same should be applied for plastics. If you are a company that creates a certain type of plastic or manufactures a certain type of plastic that can't be recycled, you should be taxed for that so that companies can be subsidized to recycle and sell that product, right? And depending on where you live, there is some of that. Like in the UK, producers of plastic packaging and whether they're actually producing it or importing it, they will be taxed if the plastic has less than... 30% recycled content. And there's lots of groups trying to get certain bills passed, you know, or, or laws in place. But up to this point, it's very disjointed. And especially here in the US, there's not nearly the kind of regulations in place or the taxes in place of what you're talking about. And companies already don't like being regulated, right? This idea of the free market, it should be pretty much just anything goes, let the market dictate it. But for something like this, that is drastically damaging the environment, it feels like regulation should be in place to either do these types of taxes that we're talking about, or to simply say, if your plastic can't be recycled completely, it shouldn't be produced. But the way the market and innovations work, and especially things like lobbying that keep those regulations from taking place, it just seems like such a long shot that that will ever happen. So if up to this point, recycling has kind of proven itself to not be the solution right? And there's tons of challenges moving forward in making it be the solution. The first question is, is there a solution at all, right? This is not a podcast where we provide solutions to every issue. But I think that there are things that can be done and should be done to help mitigate the issue of waste management. And there are campaigns out there 
huge campaigns that work to promote some of these ideas. So you've heard of the three R's probably, reduce, reuse, and recycle. Recycling is just one part of that. Reduce, that's a huge one. The whole idea of degrowth, right, is just reduce, reducing the amount of consumption. And obviously, reducing means that we're going to consciously be buying less stuff, especially the stuff that we know is most difficult to recycle, the stuff that's less biodegradable. But reducing could also mean just switching the type of product that we buy. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that we buy less. For example, you know, if you're at the grocery store choosing paper over plastic, you're choosing something that is highly recyclable, more biodegradable in exchange for something that is not. I might still be using the same amount of material in that case, but the material that I'm choosing is better. Another great way to reduce that we might not consider is being really intuitive would be to buy longer lasting things. So you had kind of mentioned how everything is turned into these single use items. Everything's disposable. But you know, if I'm going to buy a new pair of boots, it's better off if I can to buy a pair that's going to last me 20 years than to buy a pair that's going to last me two years. You know, it might be more expensive up front because I'm paying like 200 bucks for the nice pair of boots, but it's likely that in the long run, it's cheaper because I might be paying $60 every two years for a new pair of boots, which ends up being three times as expensive over that time period, right? But I'm also converting like a tenth of the amount of material to waste as I would have if I had bought every two years. So not everyone can do that. Obviously, it's going to be a bit more expensive up front. But if you are in a position to do that, it is something that's better for the environment, it's better for your wallet in the long run, and it's more convenient. One thing I thought that was interesting was if we reduced the amount of plastics that we're consuming by just 9%, we'd basically be matching the effectiveness of all the current recycling that we're doing with plastics. And it would actually even be way more than that 9% because we'd also be reducing the energy and pollution, all the inefficiencies of the production process for those plastics. And a 9% decrease doesn't sound that drastic, especially when you consider all the super wasteful products like plastic straws and plastic bottles and packaging and all that. So then reuse, obviously, finding ways to use things you've already bought for other uses. It's not always possible, but, you know, instead of chucking stuff right away when it loses maybe its original purpose, you can see if there's a better way to use it. So can packaging be used for holding something else? Can the water bottles be used to become bird feeders? If my clothes are worn out, can I cut them up and use them as rags? There are people who get really creative and find ways to make practical tools and things from old stuff, this whole idea of, of upcycling. And just at the very least, when you're done using something, it's likely that there's somebody out there who would appreciate it, even though it might be used. So you can donate clothes or furniture to the local Goodwill, you can have a garage sale, but it's good to think twice before just dumping everything. In the end, collapse is going to basically necessitate, it's going to require that we degrow, that we reduce the amount that we're consuming. One day plastics may not be available because of the reduction of petroleum available. But when we think about our local sort of economies, when we think about our communities, our neighborhoods, our own households, we can sort of begin that process before collapse happens of making our own systems circular, right? The more we can individually learn to reduce, reuse, and recycle, the more sustainable, the more resilient and independent we're making ourselves.
This is probably the hundredth time that we've said this on the podcast, that Kellen and I are not the perfect examples of environmentalists. I am not claiming that I am better than the average person at recycling or reducing my consumption. But doing research on these types of topics definitely makes you think about and conscious of the types of products that you're consuming and what you do with them when they've served their purpose. In the spirit of hoping for the best and preparing for the worst, while evaluating the facts to try to have a realistic perspective. I really hope some technologies come along that will allow the recycling process to be more effective and efficient and profitable. We desperately need it. Like the volume of what we've talked about here is so large and the damage that's being done to the planet is so great. And the amount of resources that we're using is so significant that we really need to be recycling. And of course, like you said, it's even better if we can reduce and reuse and not need to recycle anything. But I like to dream of a future where we've got technologies that can sort and clean the products and put them through the process more quickly, more efficiently. And all of that, when I think of it, sounds wonderful. And yet we're already at such a drastic point in time. To me, banking on those kind of technologies emerging or developing fast enough doesn't seem realistic. It seems more like just wishful thinking. And so, like you've mentioned, either we need to put in place some sort of taxes, regulations, standardization to make it so people have to recycle in the right way, which will end up costing us all more. Or I should probably say, and we need to be dramatically reducing how much material we're going through and finding ways to make and purchase and use things that last longer and reuse them. It has been a while since we've asked, so we're going to throw this out there again. If you haven't left us a review on the podcast, please do so. And if you've got a friend or family member who you think could benefit from this information, please feel free to share it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.